This information is subject to a disclaimer at the end of this podcast. Please ensure that you listen to the disclaimer and go to www.ubs.com for further information about UBS. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning into UBS Global Research Pod Hub, a channel that shares insights from economists, strategists, and equity analysts on the pivotal questions and events shaping today's markets. My name is Sunil Tirumalai, Emerging Markets Equity Strategist from Mumbai. And in this episode, we look at some of the key topics around the US economy, including the likelihood of a hard landing, inflation trajectory, and FOMC actions. I'm joined by Jonathan Pinkle, our Chief US Economist. Jonathan, welcome back to Let's Talk Gems. Now let's start with the recession that hasn't happened so far. The US economy, at least on the headlines tracked by Fed on labor market, is showing surprising resilience versus R and street expectations from the start of the year. What has helped the economy defy these slowdown expectations so far this year? I think the slowdown expectations that we entered the year with, uh, they came for a few reasons. Uh, One was the rapid tightening of monetary policy, um, but there were a few other reasons, including importantly, in our view, was that consumers would run down their excess savings and that some of this temporary support for spending would erode and that would lead to you know, much more material slowing that, than we've seen. So when I look across the sectors of the economy and what sort of outperformed relative to our expectations anyway, um, it's really been consumer spending. And when I think about why we thought it was going to slow, it wasn't really all due to the monetary policy tightening cycle. Yes, that was going to play a role, but it was really also due to, you know, the spending down of the excess savings, you know, slower growth in use of credit cards and some general headwinds that consumers and households were going to face as the pandemic benefits um, that were being provided by the government um, continued uh, to lapse. Instead, consumer spending, really, if I had to point to what's really been resilient, that that really would be it. And I think that if I also look back at some of the components underlying our projections that we put in place last November, you know, two things really stand out in terms of what did not unfold. One is equity markets are much higher than we thought uh, they would be. And then the second is uh, house prices have actually been very resilient in the face of the rate hikes. And that's partially because, you know, we have seen supply constraints. There's probably also been people locked into their homes because of the mortgage rate uh, reset. But those two things together, we've had very elevated um, equity prices, you know, certainly the headline indexes um, and house prices holding up much better than expected. You know, that would point to the idea that really sort of the higher than expected levels of wealth in the economy, even though wealth to disposable income has been coming in, Okay, and looking forward, our view of a hard landing contrasts with consensus that is now veering towards a soft landing. What can be the catalysts that will push the economy on a path towards our projection of a hard landing? What are the timelines of economic contraction that are baked into your projections? Looking ahead, we still expect a contraction. You know, a recession is still in our baseline for the U.S. economy, um, and one that is you know, not particularly large by historical standards, but we would still consider a hard landing. Consensus certainly has veered toward a soft landing, but any landing, we're still we're still not there yet. I mean, we're still, you know, core P 
PC inflation still above 4%. You know, the, the Fed would like to get it close to two. You know, what form of landing that takes, uh, you know, really remains to be seen. But certainly the incoming data and the resilience shown in the economy has shifted a lot of um, both our client base and, and market participants towards the soft landing view. Now, we have not moved all the way to the soft landing view, in part because we still see similar imbalances and we still see temporary supports that we expect to erode slow consumer spending in the coming months. And we do think there's still um, the lagged effects of monetary policy tightening um, that'll weigh on economic growth in the coming quarters. We do have a couple of particular things unfolding as well that are going our direction, right? We are seeing um, a pullback in credit tightening and several types of bank lending have not just gone from slowing at the start of the year, but are now in outright contraction. Uh, CNI lending is really quite weak um, and a number of types of consumer loans from the banks um, are declining outright. We also do have some additional fiscal headwinds we expect um, to hit households later this year, in particular, um, the resumption of student loan payments. You know, we estimate that to be about $100 billion annualized of payments that we'll need to resume um, sometime around September and October. And those are likely high marginal propensity to consume households. If you had a lot of savings, it's not clear um, why you would still have outstanding student loans. So we still do see a number of catalysts on the horizon um, that we think will negatively affect growth um, as we head into the end of the year. The specific timeline, obviously we have been off on the timing with which we think these things would have posed headwinds, um, but we do actually have a certain amount of clarity at this point as we have seen the labor market slow, um, we have seen layoffs step up, um, we are seeing aggregate hours worked in the economy has nearly stalled uh, thus far this year, and we do have these additional headwinds. So. We expect that by the time we're into the fourth quarter, we'll see much more pronounced weakness. Now, throwing in one of the pushbacks, we get to this call, that there is a lot of money being thrown at reshoring in the U.S. through incentive programs like Inflation Reduction Act, CHIPS Act, etc. Can't this offset some of the issues you have highlighted on the earlier question? We can certainly see in the economic data that the CHIPS Act has boosted the construction of manufacturing plants in the U.S. And that is a, a tailwind. And the Inflation Reduction Act as well, we expect to be a tailwind. Now, that is not obvious if you look at the details of the act. The Congressional Budget Office actually originally scored the Inflation Reduction Act as fiscal drag um, in the first year and overall uh, net deficit reduction. And when we look at the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, that spending has started to flow out as well, but it's been much slower um, than anticipated. What we've really seen in the data is this construction of manufacturing plants. We've seen a little tiny bit of pickup in construction of um, power and communications infrastructure as well. Um, but the increase there has been very, very small. You're talking about several billion dollars. Uh, but the manufacturing plant construction um, has really ramped up and the graphs look quite impressive. And certainly in nominal terms, the pace at which that has increased um, has just really been quite extraordinary. Um, so this this is, this is a positive impetus um, in the economy. But again, 
you know, these magnitudes and the size of the sector um, does need to be put in context. You know, the entire manufacturing uh, plant construction sector in the U.S., you know, it, it was running about 50 to $60 billion of annualized investment. Now that has stepped up to over 80. But when we think about $80 billion and what that means in real terms, I mean, let's not forget that you know, consumer spending in the U.S. is $14 trillion. Um, so a headwind to consumer spending that's affecting a broad number of households will, will swamp, you know, the entire sector of manufacturing plant construction. You know, another example is the recent debt ceiling agreement where um, Congress agreed to cut baseline spending by 200, almost $250 billion over the next two years. Um, that would dwarf the entire sector let alone the pace of increase um, in manufacturing plant construction. And even when we think about what's unfolding in the student loans that need to be repaid, you know, we ex estimate that that's about $9 billion a month or $100 billion annualized. Um, you know, that would be you know, roughly equivalent to kind of you know, $70 billion or so uh, in real terms um, if we deflate it back to $2012. Again, that is almost that increment of additional payments that are going to need to come from households is almost as big as the entire sector of manufacturing plant construction uh, in the U.S. And plus, when we look at you know structures investment as a whole, you know power and communications and manufacturing plant construction are certainly important, but the vast majority of structures investment is 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 other you know, it, you know, is other types of, is other types of building. And we're expecting many of those types to weaken. The domestic energy sector has begun to contract uh, more rapidly in the U.S. Um, you know, that rig counts, mining, drilling activity, that's actually a relatively large chunk of structures investment. And we also expect that office and retail space are going to come under pressure um, in the coming quarters. Now, moving to inflation, our outlook for core PCE inflation this year is 60 basis points below the FOMC's most recent summary of economic projections. And our headline CPI inflation projection this year is 40 basis points less in consensus. With headline numbers around the 3% handle and Chair Powell last week hinting that rate cuts could start even before inflation hits the 2% target, the trajectory of inflation prints in the coming months assumes significance. What is driving our lower inflation forecasts and how soon could we breach the 2% limit? When we look at our inflation forecast, you know, our outlook for core PCE inflation uh, is, is meaningfully lower than the FOMC. And I, I think this is important. I'm going to divide this question into two parts. You know, one is we're already seeing in the monthly data that was just released, you know, core PCE prices rose, you know, you know, you know, less than 20 basis points in June, core CPI inflation fell to 4.1%. I mean, that is already within striking distance of the 3.9% full year Q4 projection um, that came out of the FOMC's most recent summary of projections. So we're already seeing um, solid progress um, and probably faster than the FOMC um, expected on core PCE inflation. Now the FOMC is at 3.9%, you know, our expectation is at 3.3%. And much of that gap we think is likely to continue to open up in the next uh, several months. 
so that the FOMC, you know, does not raise rates at their September meeting. And in fact, we think it falls fast enough that the gap between the nominal funds rate and inflation, i.e., you know, that calibration of the real funds rate becomes restrictive enough um, that the FOMC, um, really just because inflation is falling that much faster than they expect, uh, turns towards discussing whether or not they might need to start reducing the funds rate um, as early as the December meeting, where we think that spread between core PCE inflation and the nominal funds rate uh, is widening much more rapidly than the FOMC expects, real, real rate getting uh, much more restrictive than the FOMC expected, and even breaching um, the limits that the FOMC has in their own projections about how wide the gap between the funds rate and core PCE inflation gets. Now, when we look at the inflation data, you know we are seeing the goods disinflation. Um, we continue to expect rents and owners' equivalent rents to continue to slow. The data we're getting from the marketplace shows that rents in the market have actually slowed to below, solidly below a pre-COVID pace. And that is still feeding through to the CPI and PCE data and will continue to do so over the next uh, 12 months. So we are seeing the goods disinflation we expect. We are seeing um, the slowing in rents and OER that we expect. The next section is really trying to see the other services components where we think the slowdown that we're seeing in the labor market data, the slowdown we're seeing in nominal wage growth as reported in the Q2 ECI data, you know, all of that to us points to um, slower services inflation as well. Now, in 2024, a significant amount of the disinflation we expect is due to our expectation that the broader economy weakens uh, much more meaningfully. That's going to remove pricing power for firms as aggregate demand slows and as the labor market slows and begins to, we think, contract at some point, you know, that will be particularly disinflationary, you know, putting a lid on the nominal uh, wage pressures. Um, and in a service sector economy, um, that has tended to prove quite disinflationary quite quickly if we look back at the 1990 uh, and 2000s experiences. And now finally, moving to the FOMC. The Fed staff projections seem to have moved from a recession to that of a soft landing. And Chair Powell mentioned one CPI report is not enough to start cutting. In light of our inflation view that you just described, how do you see FOMC action evolving over the next 12 months? When we look at our inflation view, we sort of divide how we think of the cutting cycle and FOMC action into a few stages. Right now, as Chair Powell seemed to indicate in his press conference after the July meeting, the FOMC has moved into this calibration phase where they're looking at inflation starting to fall. They've moved rates higher. Now the real rate is, in his words, restrictive. So now it's a matter of trying to set the policy rate, you know, kind of appropriate or sufficiently restrictive um, in order to return inflation uh, and restore to 2% and restore price stability. Now that's going to be calibrating the nominal rate to get the real rate um, where they want it set. So that's going to depend not just on their rate hikes, but how quickly inflation falls. So we think this calibration stage that they're in right now is about whether or not they need to hike again. But if inflation falls fast enough, it's going to be, okay, now we can leave the nominal rate constant and inflation falling is going to do some of the work for us. And we think that's the stage that they're progressing to um, as they head into the September or November meetings. Given our expectation that inflation is going to fall 
you know, much more rapidly than we expect. That means we expect them also to turn towards the next stage after going from calibration, raising rates, calibration because inflation is doing the work for you to, well, inflation has done a lot of the work for us is the nominal funds rate becoming too restrictive in real terms as inflation's falling. And that's a discussion we think that they will likely turn towards by the end of this year and headed into the December meeting. We think that spread between core PCE inflation and the funds rate will be widening to a point it's going to broach what the committee appears to have targeted in their own summary of economic projections. And that should lead to a discussion about just how restrictive they want to be and whether the funds rate is becoming overly restrictive um, or unnecessarily restrictive and thus requiring some recalibration. Now, this is not accommodation. The first step we think in a rate cutting cycle is going to be recalibration, not accommodation. So as the inflation falls more rapidly than the FOMC expects, we expect at the December meeting and really also at the first meeting in January 2024 that the funds rate starts to come down in order to prevent the nominal funds rate from becoming increasingly restrictive in real terms and overly restrictive as we think also the economy is going to look relatively weak. And at that point, the Fed is going to be making more obvious progress uh, towards their inflation objective. The next part of our our funds rate call, though, as we move into the middle of 2024, is really predicated on our, our, our hard landing recession view. Now, we don't have a particularly deep recession. We do think it's going to be a relatively mild one, but we also think it's going to be enough to prove disinflationary. Um, and disinflationary enough that with jobs contracting and inflation falling rapidly, we think inflation actually goes below the 2% target. And that's important for thinking about monetary policy because that's an environment where not only is monetary policy headed to neutral, but where monetary policy would want to be outright accommodative. So the Fed would want to move the funds rate below their assessment of neutral in order to put a floor under the contraction and try to engineer economic recovery particularly since with divided Congress, we don't think there would be any um, fiscal stimulus. Jonathan, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Hope to hear from you again soon. Have a good day. Thank you for visiting the UBS Research Pod Hub. That was a peek into UBS economics view on the US economy. Tune in again for more investment insights. This content has been prepared by UBS AG, its subsidiaries and or affiliates, and is purely informational in nature. It is not investment research and does not contain an investment recommendation, nor investment or professional advice. It is not an offer or solicitation to engage in any investment activity, and you should seek your own financial, tax, and legal advice before engaging in any such activity. UBS has no responsibility to you in relation to this content and has no regard to your personal circumstances or investment objectives, and receiving it does not imply any form of client relationship with UBS for any legal, regular regulatory or tax purpose. This content is not intended for distribution into any jurisdiction where to do so would be contrary to law or regulation. UBS does not accept any liability over the content of such material or reliance upon any information contained herein. The views and opinions expressed by any guest speaker or third party are not those of UBS. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over any such views and opinions expressed by such persons. This content is the valuable intellectual property of UBS, and UBS specifically prohibits the redistribution of it in whole or in part without its prior written 
written permission. Copyright UBS 2023. The key symbol in UBS are among the registered and unregistered trademarks of UBS. All rights reserved.